This is Beth Butler, and thank you for listening to From the Ground Up, where we chat with people in and around the real estate industry. I have been in the real estate business for 35 years, and much of my experience has been about building the business from the ground up. And I'm pleased to share some of the people who I've met along the way and who have helped me build in this podcast. Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. Today, we have my good friend and colleague, Audrey Ross, joining us for a look at luxury real estate. Since opening her own real estate firm in 1984, Audrey Ross has established herself as one of the city's preeminent purveyors of luxury homes. After years of dedication to her work and providing absolutely the best and most discreet service to the world's movers and shakers who make up her clientele, she has become known to those in international real estate circle as, quote, Miami's woman at the top, unquote. It's the ultimate lifestyle, the elegant serenity of the coast and waterways of Miami and the international ambiance that adds pizzazz to the opulent neighborhoods, picturesque views of sunsets and manicured skyline. This is the Miami that Audrey Ross knows and loves and probably sells better than anybody else. As a longtime resident of Coral Gables, Audrey has watched over the bustling activity that has transformed the greater Miami area from a world-class beachside resort city to a dynamic international trade mecca. A visionary in her own right, Audrey had the foresight to research Miami's incredible growth as it was happening and learned what this influx of people would mean to both current residents and those relocating here. Her clientele is a list of a veritable who's who's of the movers and shakers of the world, Fortune 500 executives, film stars, international entertainment figures, sports celebrities, and heads of foreign countries. Her real estate-related accolades are extensive. Just to name a few, she was the first Miami agent to cross the coveted $100 million sales volume mark. She's been recognized by the LuxuryRealEstate.com organization with a Lifetime Achievement Award and has been named the Coral Gables Chamber of Commerce Woman of the Year. I first met Andre when she owned her own boutique firm, Ross & Associates, and again, consider her not only a colleague but a friend. Welcome, Audrey to From the Ground Up podcast. Oh, thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to jump right in and start asking questions. I know that we're going to have a big audience for this one. A lot of people want to track your success. So we're going to go back and kind of stop, start from the beginning, okay? <laughs> what <are> you, of course. <laughs> All right. So, Audrey, how did you first land in real estate? It's a good question, in a sense. Um, it's, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, my, hus- my late husband suggested, uh, why don't you try real estate? After we had married, I had tried for one year being a housewife, and I think he sensed that just wasn't going as well as I had might have anticipated. And having quit my other job that I had previously, traveling for the U.S. Office of Education, Um, He had suggested, well, why don't you try real estate? Because a number of your friends have licenses and uh, we can travel in between. Of course, his vision of a realtor was quite different than what the reality was. He came to learn much later. But that's how I got into real estate. I tell everyone, 
it's actually can be capsuled in three words. Um, it's an avocation that became a vocation when I made a little money and clearly became an obsession. So those three words characterize my entry and current existence in real estate. Well, I think that's a great answer. Thank you. So let's go back to Stadler in the early days. I think that for a lot of people that are listening, they may not even remember Stadler real estate, but <laughs> certainly but certainly back in the uh, late 70s and the 80s, before they went under, Stadler was the preeminent uh, luxury firm, especially in the South uh, South Dade area. So I know you started there. So you want to talk a little bit about your early Stadler days and how you ended up focusing on Gables Estates. Actually, you're thinking of the right time period, just the uh, the wrong or uh, the wrong organization momentarily. Uh, Stadler ran right alongside and co- uh, competed with Casey Cousins at the time. Um, and Casey was actually where I began my real estate career. And after my husband had suggested that I um, get a real estate license and try real estate, I did get a license. And the day back in the day, you were you were told when you went to the state exam and took the exam, whether or not you passed and whether or not you would have a license. And I did that on a Saturday and went that evening to a cocktail party and met Casey Cousins. And we connected over the fact that both she and I had South Carolina roots. And she said very enthusiastically, as, as you might, I came to learn many uh, brokers, uh, real estate brokers are most enthusiastic. She said, oh, you must come to work for me. Come down on Monday and, and we'll get you started. And I, after I had bragged to her, when she said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a brand new realtor. I've just gotten my license today. So she what became actually my first mentor in real estate, Casey Cousins, who was a force of her own. She did dominate at that point uh, the luxury market in Coral Gables, living in Snapper Creek, and she was on the Federal Reserve Board. So she, she was not by any means a um, wilting flower, shall we say. But she became my mentor, and I did compete with Stadler um, on many occasions, and knew John Stadler and know him quite well. Um, and but but I actually worked for Casey Cousins. So I guess I had that confused in my mind when I was making up these questions because I remember. Uh, when you first came to EWM, I think I was having a conversation with Norma Rosenberg, and I think that's where I got that from. I did know you worked with with Casey. I remember that. And for everybody that doesn't know, just kind of the history of Casey Cousins, right? So go through this with me, Audrey. Casey Cousins okay. became Merrill Lynch first. That's correct. Is that right? Yep. Right. So she Casey was on Cousins, the board there for a while. At, uh-huh. And she became yeah. Merrill Lynch, and then that became Prudential Florida, correct? Correct. Absolutely correct. Correct. And then and that I, became... That, I mean, that I'm lost now. I, I don't recall I think, what I think then eventually that became, that became Prudential, uh, from Prudential Florida, it went to... Um, it went to Caldwell Banker eventually. I just don't remember. If I there think was something you're correct. Absolutely. I do believe you're correct. Yes. 
But but you know it, it, when you were talking there, it, it reminded me of the strong yes. women that really dominated the real estate firms, especially at the high end in Coral Gables at that time. I mean, just they think about did. Casey Cousins. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Kay Byrne had Byrne Reinhardt. She was there. Yes. And then of course the three ladies and, of Esslinger, Wooten, Maxwell. Absolutely, they were they were stalwarts. As was Bobby Dooley, if you recall. That's right. They, That's they were right. All of these uh, amazing women who were really running the show in real estate for residential, at least in Coral Gables and in Dade County. They did pave the way for us, didn't they? And none of they them, sure none did. of them were none of them were wilting flowers. No, <laughs> they were all very strong <laughs> ladies. I think we can all laugh. Absolutely. They were forces of nature to be reckoned they with. Were. That's for sure. Absolutely. That's for sure. Because because it, it was because even residential, you know, it, it's such a different time then. But it was still a very male dominated business environment. So for women, especially that were not so young um, to come Mm -hmm. out of, you know, being former, you know, being housewives and work their way into really running successful businesses was quite a feat back in those days. It was indeed. Now, Casey Cousins um, would have her meetings at her home. Her office meetings were always held at her home in Snapper Creek. And I shall never forget, we were always greeted at the door with a houseman in a white jacket and gloves, and he served the coffee and the um, the early morning, shall you say, sweets for us prior to the meeting to get us ready to go out on our morning tour, our tour of homes. And it was it was quite genteel and beautifully presented. And her place in South Miami, her office there in South Miami was a bit of a junior league outpost. And we used to chuckle over the fact that it was just a wonderful place to see all your friends and also do a little business. How, how things have changed. <laughs> I, I, I Absolutely. Have <laughs> well, at, yeah. at least in my mind, I really associate your business, at least a strong uh, staying power of your business has been your work in Gables Estates and the Coral Gables Waterway. Can you tell, uh, share with everybody kind of how you worked your way into dominating that area? Well, it, it, that's a, actually a pretty simple um, uh, evolution because in the beginning, I, I really, when I thought I would take up real estate, I went over to, as, as I said, to Casey Cousins, and I would go to the office meetings, get dressed up every Wednesday morning, and, and listening to everybody, you know, saying to her, I have a three-bedroom this, I have a four-bedroom that, and the other thing. And I, after a bit, my competitive spirit came to the fore, and I wanted to to actually start selling after about a year. So I um, would raise my hand, you know, and volunteer for, we used to do floor duty. They would use the realtors to come in to answer the phone. And if any leads came in, you would, you would be able to, to get them. And, uh, and I teamed up with a a wonderful woman who is still my friend, Anna Marie Higgs. And we, we would sit on the floor together and do floor duty at Casey Cousins and shortly, a, a, one of the physicians called and wanted to list his house in Gables by the Sea. We went out and listed the house. And shortly after that, it sold and we were in business. And after that, I never looked back and just 
kept going, but I decided when Casey, and about it was about uh, two years into my career, when Casey decided to sell to Merle Lynch. And at that point, I thought, this is just wonderful. I think I would like my own company. So I went home and told my husband, I want my own company. And of course, he said, but, but honey, you know nothing about owning a real estate business. What, how, why, how, what are you going to do? And I naively said, how complicated can it be? You need one box for the money and one box for the bills. And of course, he just chuckled because he had owned quite a large business and sold it. And he said, well, it's going to be a bit more complicated than that. But I wanted to be then a commercial realtor. So I set about getting um, to, to take all of the CCIM courses to become a commercial realtor and was well on my way because I did leave Casey and go downtown, rent 2,000 square feet in one Biscayne Tower and opened um, a commercial real estate establishment with myself and one other man who came with me and we hired a secretary. And shortly thereafter, George Jenkins uh, who had retired as the president of Exxon, said he needed to be out of the house by 7 o'clock, that his wife married him for better or worse, but certainly not for breakfast or lunch, and he was going to become a realtor. So he came on board and came down to become a commercial realtor with me. But to get back to your securitous question, uh, your direct question and my securitous answer, um, Having all this set up to become a commercial realtor and literally flying all over the United States to take the CCIM courses and getting started and getting into the commercial business about well, a little bit, a couple of years into that and having some success, one of my neighbors asked me here in Gables Estates, why don't you sell my house, Audrey? And I said, oh, well, okay. So I listed the house because my husband urged me to do, he said, you should do everything. You should not just be a commercial realtor or a residential realtor. And I recall going to the closing as time went on of three uh, 1395 Brickle, which is now, um, it was, it used to be a bank building. And now it is still a bank in the bottom of a very tall building. But I had a whopping sale there for $9 million, which I thought was just the end-all and be-all at the time. And that same day, I had gone to close this house over on the bay on Arvida Parkway, where I was the only realtor at 6%. I was into the other deal for 2% with about six other realtors sitting around the table because we had a bit of a daisy chain. And I then realized you know, I really need to concentrate on Gables Estates, my neighbors, and not just be so close-minded close about residential real estate. So that began my journey, began my journey into selling Gables Estates. So now that you've kind of gotten focused on Gables Estates, talk us through some of your prospecting and farming tools that you've used over the years. I don't want you to give away trade oh, secrets. I'm gonna, yeah. may, maybe oh, one no, or two. Maybe one, maybe no. one or two. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have any real trade secrets. I'm sure many, many people who will be listening to this know a lot more about farming in some respects than I might. Um, but, you know, real estate is just really a relationship uh, business. 
It is getting to know people, letting them get to know you and trust you and when they and know what you do and when they have a need for a realtor, they will call you. And I, that's one of the reasons I am so excited about the Compass CRM that is being developed and is in, has been in a state of evolution and is being getting, just getting better by the minute. Because if you have any database that you maintain and you maintain contact with the people and they get to know you, they will call you as a realtor. And so you asked me how I did what I did in Gables Estates. It isn't that I had any prospecting and farming tools per se. It's just that I really worked at building my relationships, my friendships, if you will, with my neighbors and living here. And I tell this now, which is a really, and now my current team is an extension of this concept. You go and you come daily from where you live and you get to know the people around you where, and you know that area probably better than any other realtor could possibly know it. And that's what I did here in Gables Estates. And certainly there were things that we did, activities that we hosted, that did help people get to know us better. But it was just a whole series of things of letting people get to know you and building your relationship with your neighbors that led, I think, to a 99% of my success, whatever success I've had in Gables Estates. Well, and I agree. I mean, I think you've been great about building rapport with the neighbors, but I also think of things like lessons that I see that you have really kind of commanded and owned the space to be able to control that neighborhood for as long as you have. First thing I think of really is inventory control. You know and have always known the history, like off the top of your head, Every property that's in there, how many times it's sold, what it's sold for, price per square foot, what's on the market, what's privately on the market, who's thinking about selling. I mean, you have really got your finger on the pulse. So not only do you know them, but you are ready to drop that answer at any cocktail party, at any social gathering. You know that neighborhood inside and out. So people not only know, oh, that's Audrey, she's in real estate, they know that's Audrey who knows this market better than anybody else. And I think that's an important distinction to make. The other thing I always admired from a distance about how you controlled that is you extended that socializing into you used to have an annual picnic. And I thought that was that was worth sharing. And you talk a little bit about that because I really sure. love that you did that and actually took that a page out of your playbook. And when I was coaching yeah. agents, <laughs> it's something that 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 a lot of people have kind of incorporated one way or another, mm-hmm. doing an annual event for their for their neighbors, for, for their, their customers, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But you were an early pioneer at that. So talk us through your that, Gables yeah, Estate that was it, that was um, that was just an idea of letting getting people who live in a neighborhood that has that happens to have larger lots and you won't have the opportunity to see the person quite as often and and um, so consequently we uh, we volunteered to host a picnic for the um, community for the entire community over on my street and once a year um, through the very uh, Extreme, extreme efforts, I must say, of my longtime 20-plus-year assistant, Rachel Bijal, we would put together a picnic on one of the little park areas here and invite each and every neighbor. We would start promoting it, and we would, and we would continue to promote it. 
uh, until, you know, the day of the picnic. And we typically had it at the same time every year. Um, and we would, we would always, you know, go to great lengths to make it inclusive. We would have a big tent. We would serve lunch. Um, we would have rides for the children. It was a bit of a, a, a fair, if you know, if you will. And we would have over 100 and 150 people at a time coming to the Gables Estates picnic. And we always had a different theme every year. Um, and so, you know, after we did that for 25 years. <laughs> and finally, I think the association decided they wanted to host the picnic, you know. And so they, they now do host, um, they, they don't call it a picnic. They host the block party, if you will. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great uh, marketing event. And again, I think I've seen many agents successfully copy that idea and work it into their program. So now that you've got this whole kind of neighborhood thing figured out, you expanded into other luxury markets in Miami. How do you choose where to focus? How, how did you how did you after Gables Estates, you kind of got that down, you were owning that. Then you started to expand. I went one of the markets that comes to mind for me, which is maybe where I first met you is Fisher Island. So yeah. just talk through how how'd you pick Fisher Island? What other markets did you expand to? Talk about now you've got your company, you've done commercial, you're owning a high-end residential neighborhood. Next step is you're expanding into other markets. Because um, as my team grew, uh, we decided on a model that we, because I had been successful here living in Gables Estates that, uh, and getting to know my neighbors, that that would be our business model for our real estate team. So if, if we were to bring people onto the team, we would bring them on and they, their farm, if you will, which I consider the waterfront of Coral Gables to be my farm, because that's where I've worked now for over 30 years. Um, would be the area in which they live. The concept is you, as I said earlier, you go and you come from this base and you know more about it probably than anybody because you live there, any other realtor. And so consequently, we started building our team around different areas of the city and now of the county, really. And now we have the people who are our, quote, specialists that work that area. That is their farm. And we now literally do cover almost every single luxury area of Dade County. And we have a team member doing that. It's awesome. I'm going to I'm going to come back to another memory here because, again, we're going through these conversations and I'm thinking about it. So when I said that, I think I met you on Fisher Island. I do think that's the truth. I remember I had a I was working as an agent at the Kai's company at the time. This is probably in the late 80s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or so. Anyway, I mean, we were both still in high school then, but, you know, it was uh, it was I think it was in the late 80s, 1989 or so, 88, 89. And I had some relocation clients that were interested in living in Fisher Island, but they wanted to rent for a year. And I went to the um, MLS book at that time because, you know, of course, we weren't didn't have computers back then. Went to the book at that time and saw your name and I had heard of you. So I called you and you were so gracious when I spoke to you about about what you had, inventory you had. And I thought, this is great because I didn't know a lot. You know, to be honest, I didn't know a lot about Fisher Island. And I was happy that you did and remember driving over there, getting off the ferry. You met me and my clients. And again, this is just for how to show property, right? When you're the listing right. agent. You met me and the clients in your golf cart 
You had your list not only of your inventory, but of all the inventory on the island. You had like a little sheet yeah. of paper with everything yeah. on there. You gave us a tour of the island. You showed us what we wanted. It was like, let me tell you, as a lazy buyer's agent, you you were an answer from God because I thought this is amazing. I can sit back, just tool around in the golf course in the golf cart on Fisher Island, and Audrey's taken over here. No, and that's I, true. I, but, but but again, well, lessons it, lessons well, learned. You think about this yeah. all this time later. I mean, that stayed with me. But of course, just like you talked about Casey and the 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 house person in the white jacket answering the door, the little things that make a difference in the yeah. experience that lasts with you over time. And no, that idea so of yeah. that gracious welcome hospitality. You didn't know me from Adam. I mean, it was just, you know, but you acted like I was the best real estate agent in town. And and, and of course, you know, I had been in the business, you know, all of 10 minutes, but, but you made Uh me look good. You made the clients happy. It was such a pleasant experience and it (laughs) stayed with me all this time. But you know, how many people do that today? None. I think that this is uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm hoping that people that listen understand that there's lessons that we've all learned along the way that make yeah. the difference in how to make a deal. It, it does make a difference. It does. Yeah. I, I came to Fisher Island a bit, um, fortuitously again, my, seems like now that I'm, you, you've forced me to reflect a bit that I haven't done before, but because my office was so close downtown, I was in one Biscayne tower when Fisher was opening up, um, I, it was very easy for me to get there. I went every day and I, I was one of the first um, equity members when they opened it up. My membership number was 10, like in zero one zero. <laughs> so there were nine people ahead of me. Um, but we quickly bought an equity membership. My husband then, my late husband was very supportive. And he even went to the extent, well, honey, do you, maybe we need to buy a unit if you want to work here like you do in you know, <laughs> and I chuckle now that I think back on that. But I, oh, no, 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 that's okay. I can just drive over, I said. We don't need to buy a unit. But we bought an equity membership, so I could come and go at will. And I did keep a golf cart, as you said there, of my own, that he thought it was nice for me to have my own little golf cart to run around in that I could jump on and jump off. And at that time, um, the um, Massachusetts Mutual owned the island, and they were developing it. And so they had their own sales team for new sales. And I did the resales, basically. I was the only realtor that did more than two or three. So I developed quite a large following on Fisher Island because I was there every single day. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that even though she does not work for Compass, I'm very proud of her. Ashley Cusack was my rental agent. She came on the team to serve as a rental agent for Fisher Island. I was so proud of her because she was starting in real estate and she helped me with all the rentals over on Fisher Island. She was amazing, really wonderful. But um, (laughs) she's now still at Esslinger um, and a very good agent. But um, we did have quite a long run there for many years until the realtors started moving onto the island. And uh, so I think seven, six or seven live there now, actually. Um, and we, but for many, many years, I, I loved going 
and describing the 216 acres of paradise and how it came to be and so forth and so on. It's a great spot. And you were great at it. So <laughs> with just like at Fisher Island, I know you, you, you belong to a lot of other organizations. How important is community involvement to your business? Oh, I think it's very important to anybody's business. You know, I, I love to sell Miami. It's the magic city. And I think if you're going to sell a city and you're going to sell a lifestyle and you're going to entice people to come here, you need to know, you need to have, like, just like I believe you need to live where you work and work where you live, uh, you need to know about your city. I'm still uh, very involved in the Beacon Council and on the Aviation Committee. I, I've just uh, joined that a couple of years ago and gotten involved, but I'm also involved in the Coral Gables Chamber of Commerce. Mark Trowbridge is a force of nature in and of himself. He's enough to inspire anybody. You know, he comes on beautifully and manages the whole thing. I have for many, many years been a member of the Coral Gables Garden Club and really love being involved in that and getting to know people. And I, you know, have been involved in the Lighthouse for the Blind and helped uh, found the Deering Estate Foundation. Love doing that. And I still stay connected to that. And I'm involved in the University of Miami Citizens Board, where you can, it's a wonderful, wonderful organization supporting my, one of my alma maters, the University of Miami. Um, and I've just recently gotten enthusiastic about and gotten involved in the Florida Lions iBank, which I think is just one of the most amazing uh, organizations I've encountered in Dade County. It gives people hope that can't see, and it, it's just, it's amazing. Um, so I do think it's very, very important to be involved in your community. And I stress that to my team members, wherever you live, get involved in that area. And if you want to get involved in one of the larger outreach organizations, like I've just mentioned, you know, we try to get you involved in that too. So talk us through some of your networking strategies, because I know you don't just join, you're actually very active. So talk us through how you approach these organizations. Well, I think you need to find your passion and, and get involved. And, you know, whether that's um, whether that is raising money or whether that is serving as a volunteer on a Saturday all day long for the kitchen tour of the foundation of, my, of Coral Gables or whatever it is. I, I try to I might I don't have as much time to do the all day long stints that I used to. But, but I still like to get involved. I've, you know, raised a fair amount of money for the different organizations that I belong to because that's something I, I used to do actually professionally, uh, lobbying and raising money for, this, for school efforts. But I, I think that um, it's just important to find something you love to do and do that aspect of it. I think that's great. So... Back to the real estate thing again now. You had your own yeah, very successful sure. firm. You had your own very successful firm. I remember you being in downtown Miami. But then you and I connected again when you decided to move to EWM. So talk to me a little bit about talk to me a little bit about what made you decide to close that boutique and join EWM. Well, I you know, I I uh, was thinking at one point that I would as many women have been able to successfully do, pass along your real estate business to your child. And I had one child, one daughter then, um, 
And I had said my my husband had a, a daughter three years older than my daughter when we married, and one was eight. My daughter was eight, and Suzanne was ten. Um, and Suzanne made it quite clear she was not interested in real estate. She was going. She went up north to Boston University and stayed. They went to New York to work. Melissa went up north to school, to Connecticut, to high school, and then came back to Duke in the South. And then she was my she was my shining hope, I guess, to take over the real estate business. And she made it quite clear to me when I broached that subject that, Mom, I have no interest in working on weekends like you do. I'm going to become a veterinarian, she announced. And she did. <laughs> so I, I was, uh, I had to decide, you know, do I, do I just go along? And different people had been approaching me to buy the business. And Ron Shuffield at the time um, and I had talked and he had a very strong presence with Nelson Gonzalez and Esther uh, over on the beach in high-end real estate. But over here on this side, he had really um, a middle-of-the-road real estate, a very good one and large, but they there was not a big luxury presence. And I seemed to have the the you know, the uh, thing that would fulfill the entire spectrum. And you can speak more about that than I, um, I think. But he uh, made me an offer to buy the business. And um, after some negotiating, I ended up being a shareholder at EWM. He ended up moving into a little building that I own down there on the third floor and then took over the second floor, which you know quite well. And um, I sold my business to EWM in 2000. And um, then shortly after that, um, my friend in Atlanta, Jenny Pruitt, uh, who has a fabulous business there and, and has sold that uh, to, she had just sold it to Berkshire Hathaway. She suggested you need to call, um, you know, you need to call Warren Buffett or the people at Berkshire Hathaway and see if you can sell your business. They're buying and they're looking in it in Miami. So I suggested that to Ron and they did. And um, here in 2003, after a long due diligence period, I was able to participate in selling my business again because he sold the whole thing to Berkshire Hathaway, uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. And I sat there for many, many, many years, as you know, and was quite happy until I decided to go to Compass. <laughs> so I guess that takes <laughs> us to our to, to our next story I'll, uh, again. I'm kind of going back through the history of life here I know. with Audrey. When 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 out I of know. the blue, Rachel calls and says, "Can you can you go to Audrey's house on Sunday?" And I thought, okay, this is this this is a little random, but yeah. listen, I, yeah. I had not I hadn't seen you since Jack had passed That's away. Right. This your no. it was your That's your true. your husband had passed away, and yeah. I thought, if nothing else, I'll go and sit with Audrey for a little while and catch up and visit, visit and just reconnect. <laughs> so that's really what I thought that thought, thought I was doing, and uh-huh. um, I walked up to you you it was after open houses and i love that uh-huh. it's you still do your own open houses every oh, yes, single absolutely. sunday i want to point that out too right talk about work <laughs> ethic is you still do your own open houses i love my open houses and you know a strange man answered the door <laughs> which is your which is your now husband bud yeah, i'm like okay yeah, things are true. definitely different over at Audrey's house 
Oh yeah. But but we we sat and had a great conversation about about what you've been doing and about technology and wanting to move forward. So now let's, Mm -hmm. and and that really led to your coming to compass. So that totally, absolutely. And and we did catch up, which, you know, I will Uh have, we had a lovely conversation sitting in in your house, but you've been at compass now for, for a few years, three years coming up on three years. How have you leveraged compass in your business? Oh, it, it has been, I would have to, and looking back over these three years, say if uh, one of the most significant and best business decisions I ever made in my history of doing business, period, one way or the other, it, it, it was coming to Compass because Compass really is the future of real estate. They represent the future. It, it's um, the other companies, the one from which I came and that you know well, they're very good, solid um companies and they do great business. But, but as the future goes on, I saw things were going to be quite different. And I wanted, I've always wanted to be at the forefront of a movement, not in other words, ahead of the dream, not chasing the dream. And I compass represents to me the cutting edge of real estate as we know it at the time. Um, you know, my great, one of my great challenges, I guess, if you will, was that I had my own real estate um, website. I had my own uh, domain name that I thought had huge potential. And I had probably, I think, one of the only individual realtor apps in Dade County to support my website. So I, I wanted to be with a company, and that's why I was seeking Compass. And, and I wanted to be with a company that represented the future, and that's what I found in Compass. So to be able to have all of the tools that they now provide to an agent has been a bit of a goal mine for me. And, and certainly I'm realizing my dreams to see my uh, website um, being more fulfilled than it's ever been. And, and so it's just it's been a dream come true and one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned in that 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 you always wanted to be at the forefront. And I certainly think about mm-hmm. that, right? I One of my other things, besides associating you with luxury real estate, you always seemed to be at the very front, front, front of whatever was happening. And I think that's important too. Not only have you stayed informed and stayed current, you're always a step ahead of a lot of the competition. And with that, mm-hmm course i'm going to go to well i think of i think of a lot of the tools we'll talk about the website in just a second but i think yeah. you know one of the first really good news reports or newsletters now that everybody does a newsletter your ross report was groundbreaking oh, in yeah. the day right yeah. You, yeah. you you had the you had the digital version that you shared but you also had it in the paper did market mm-hmm. reports it was it was very like in early days right it was a, mm-hmm. a a leader in driving that kind of marketing tool that was amazing yeah. you got the url miamirealestate.com which is mm-hmm. like amazing how how did mm-hmm. that happen I know there's a story there and I think it's <laughs> oh, worth it sharing. Just... It's also got to be worth a fortune by now. So talk well, us it, through MiamiRealEstate.com. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's not really complicated, actually, and it was very fortuitous. I was working at the time as a consultant for the U.S. Office of Education, so I was in Washington a lot. Um, and, of course, they were developing the Internet, and, and no one had heard of such. You know, They were simply explaining it like, Audrey, it's going to be like a 
giant globe with a fishnet around it. And every little knot is going to be an address now. And it's an electronic address. So you have to kind of put this in your head when they're talking. I mean, we're back in the 90s, the early 90s. And tell me, uh, what address would you like? And I'm saying even, I don't know, I had just gotten my real estate license in the 80s, I guess this would be now, because I got my real estate license in 1984 or 80, no, 81, 82. So sometime between, I don't have the exact date in my mind, but I was up there and they were explaining this and said, what, what, what address do you want? Well, I'd just gotten a license. So I, tell, I said, well, I think I'll take MiamiRealEstate.com. Okay. They said, fine, no problem. They wrote it all out, handed it to me. And that was my address forever after. I was not that smart though. I should have said, and by the way, you know, I'm very enthusiastic and aggressive. So give me also AtlantaRealEstate.com and NewYorkRealEstate.com. <laughs> I should have, we were giving them out that day. I should have just taken a handful, but I took one and I'm glad I took it very much. It, it has proved to be wonderful for me. How many times have you been approached to sell the domain name? <laughs> many, <laughs> many, <laughs> quite a few. Yes. <laughs> so again, it was, it was early days and, and I know MiamiRealEstate.com has gone through a lot of iterations. How do you keep it, it current? Well, right now I, you know, I have done, and this is like everything else. It's a bit of a trial and error situation. And many times you get locked into contracts with people that are quite expensive to get out of. But I am now with a group, a local group that I can actually sit and go talk to them and we can talk about what we want to do with the website. They have been absolutely spectacular, wonderful. And I'm working with them. We're launching a brand new website um, in about two weeks that will be quite nice. I'm very excited about it. And it's going to feature one of the things that really excites me is that it's going to feature communities. In other words, when you go on my website, you pick a community. And one of the things I'm very proud of is when you pick, for instance, Pinecrest, you will see right across the bottom my team member. Christina Cipolletti, uh, Cipolletti um, who is our Pinecrest specialist. She lives on um, 85th Terrace and or 86th Terrace, and um, she lives where she works. That's her farm. And so we're going to be featuring each team member at, on the front page on the website of the, of the farm. So, um, you know, we're setting about making dreams come true is what we're trying to do and serve at the same time our public and the people that are interested. And of course, I'm, I'm thrilled over the fact and have always been that no matter where you are, if you're in Dubai or you're in Paris or you're in Singapore, if you're coming to Miami and you want to buy real estate, there are three words you put in the search engine, Miami real estate. And until we had people spending millions to buy the spot, we were number one on all search engines. And we're moving back up. We're getting back there. We won't ever be in the paid positions because I would be competing with the likes of Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com. <laughs> so, but I will be near the top. And I'm very excited about that. And so with this strategy, your community strategy, fe featuring the agents on mm -hmm. the co uh, community landing pages, mm -hmm. do you foresee or are you looking at your website to be a lead generation tool? 
Uh, it is already. It is already. In fact, um, I just, uh, before I got on the, on the line with you here chatting, I had 340 emails and a large chunk of those are leads from the website. So, and, and of course, some are good, some are not so good, you know, but you have to sift through them. And, but we're, we're very excited about that. And, you know, we give them out according to the areas in which our people live. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's working out. It's, it's working just the way I had dreamed it would be working. So in addition to your website, are you leveraging social media? Like, are you running any Facebook ads? Oh, do you yes. do any Google pay-per-click? Talk mm-hmm. us a little bit about how you supplement your we do. We website do. We're with doing, other digital. Yeah. We're doing quite a lot of that, as a matter of fact. And in fact, I have hired uh, two interns for the summer to help me with social media. We have one person working pretty much full time on that for the website. And these, and we have two interns helping us uh, develop our CRM and the social media this summer. So yes, we're doing quite a lot. And the people who are handling the, um, the uh, website also have people working on social media for us. We've been running special campaigns um, for different homes that we have. And they've been quite successful. So let's just talk a little bit more about your team. I mean, you were one of the very first, if not one of the first uh, real estate agents to really build a successful team. And you really have a wonderful group of agents right now. Can you briefly just describe what your team structure looks like and what kind of goals that you set for the team? Yeah, well, pretty much. Um, we have we have 12 people on our team now. We're, we are interviewing a couple of others. Um, and for areas that we don't have totally uh, covered. We have two intensive uh, days a year where we take off the entire day and recap what we're doing, look at our goals, look at our training strategies, um, just to keep ourselves focused and on track. And in addition to that, we meet every, during the normal year before the pandemic, we were meeting on Mondays and Thursdays twice a week. We've been meeting virtually once a week on Thursdays uh, during this um, pandemic when we are, you know, cloistered at home. But we've met, kept in touch through Zoom and through Blue Jeans and have been able to report back and carry on our business as normal. But we're pretty structured. We, we have specific goals that we generally don't share. And, um, but we're, we're pretty, we have a strategy, we have a recipe that we go through that, you know, is for our team and it seems to be working. So I'm, I'm thrilled with the whole, you know, with the whole effect. And I know like previously you've had more people on your team, less people on your team. Can you talk about like, do you think about how many people you want to manage on a team or how do you, or is it, is is it, Fluid. I mean, just talk us through how you decide. No, no. Well, the people, the people generally who are there now, I think are, as you say, keepers. You know, you may come and you may go. I came when I left Esslinger. I had 14 people that left with me. Um, But I, my team is 12 now, but we're all pretty dedicated to what we do. I mean, you know, I, I tell everybody have a little line, you know, I want you to, the first, the first rule is you got to show up. 
<laughs> so, and show up on time and be excited about what you're doing. And you've got to produce and you've got to, you've got to show that you're excited and interested. And we try to, I try to reward effort whenever I can. And, you know, I, I view myself as a bit of a dream weaver. My, honestly, my number one goal in life is to make the people that care, I care about, make their dreams come true. And one of the things I do is I do interview my team members. I try my best to interview them at least once a quarter and make notes about what they're doing, what they're interested in, not only just real estate, but other things. And on one occasion when we'd had an extraordinarily, you, you remember this, this is kind of legendary now, but um, year, uh, everybody that year in the, one of the sessions I'd had said they wanted to go to Africa, that one of their dreams was to go to Africa. And it was just coincidental. And nobody knew the others had even told me that. And I think might have come from the fact I had been to Africa the year before with my family or a couple of years before. And um, so that year, at the end of the year, I recognized everybody on the team and gave everybody a trip to Africa for their whole family because it was a dream. And, I, and that is one of the still one of the most exciting events of my life, most gratifying events of my life is that I was able to make my team members individually and collectively dreams come true. I think you get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing other people succeed and and really realize things that they've done things they didn't even know they could do. And, and it's really very gratifying to me and exciting. Well, I think that's a, a tribute to your generosity as well. I mean, it's, I do remember that. And I think at that time, everybody wanted to be on the Audrey Ross team because that was <laughs> well, like... Well, they had all the, worked the, really hard. But, Let right, me tell you, right, we had all right, worked hard. Right, I, I know. I watched them every day. I know exactly what... I know it was such hard <laughs> effort. But I think that that's, again, just one of those... And maybe that's not even a not-so-little thing, but it's one of those special no, things a little, that you is. do to reward, right? There's extra surprises. Yeah. There's generosity that comes when a team works well together and it's giving back. It's not just taking, mm-hmm. you're giving no, all your and everybody, and you uh, That's true. Every You hit a really good point, Beth. Everybody on the team gives. They do. They, they chip in and they help, you know, with no thought of remuneration or anything because we a good example and I'll do a plug here if you don't mind is that on Saturday at 11 o'clock we're having our first virtual open house in in the Keys in the Florida Keys Um, it is a listing that I am working for 24 and a half million dollars with a broker in Compass who's from New York that did not know this area and she came down and I, we were fortunate enough that she selected me to co-list the property with. And she went back to New York after doing a huge amount of work to get the uh, property ready to sell. And now my entire team has is going down for the most part. There are two or three that cannot go for various and sundry reasons. But that most of them are going with me and going to be featured on the virtual open house covering different parts because it's a huge property. And so we're all going to be doing this together, you know, and I, it just is a very good uh, testimony to team effort. And, and I'm very grateful to have all of these people on our team. 
Well, you know, it's clear that one of the benefits of being on your team is is being able to have you as a mentor to show the way into the luxury market. So with that in mind, what advice would you give someone who's looking to break into the luxury market today? That's tough. I, I, it's hard to say because <laughs> what besides don't know I'm, I'm just teasing no. <laughs> yeah besides don't um, but I but I just I don't I think what I would say to anyone anyone going into real estate is first of all it's a commission business so you have to be able to sustain yourself for at least a year to two to two years one to two years without any thought of making money if you can somehow or another um, get into the business, either um, if you want to be in the luxury business, in the luxury sector especially, you need to be able to sustain yourself. And then you should, I think, try your best to either get on a team with someone that is working the luxury business or work for a luxury developer and 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 that you know where you can where you can um Get, meet people and where you can become familiar with the luxury sector because it is very, very difficult to to break into that sector now. There's so much competition from so many people and the space is not that big. Um, so, you know, one of the best ways, I guess, is, like I said, to get on a team already that is working, already working in that sector or to go to work for one of the luxury developers. That would be my best advice, I think. And know that you can't need to be able to sustain yourself for a year to two years. Well, yeah, and, and I think going on team is, is great advice, and you've lived that example. I think there, I can name, you mentioned Ashley mm -hmm. Cusack earlier. I mean, there are a number yeah. of agents that mm -hmm. were on your team or worked yep. for you yep. over the years that have gone on to have very successful Huge careers in the space. Careers. So, so, so it's, it's, you, you are proof of that story and that it does really work well to understand the space, work with somebody, have it somebody. Does as a mentor, put in the hard work and the effort to mm -hmm. learn, and, and, yeah. and then you can take it from there. What do you consider your the best thing you do on a listing presentation? <laughs> That's hard to say because every single one is so different. But I, I would say re regardless, of it's different in every case. But I think one of the most important things you can ever do when you're going to go pitch a listing is find out about the owner. Do as much research as you can. Find out, if, are there any ways that you can connect with this person, either through being an alumna of the same college or university or school or background. Find some points of contact in which you have commonalities, if you can. It always helps. And aside from that, as you have previously pointed out, just be so briefed on the property and the surrounding properties that, that they will be impressed with the fact that you can get it sold for them above all else. I, I think that's great advice. Thank you. And once you get the listing, will you walk us briefly through what marketing you do for a typical listing? So now I've got this luxury listing. So let's just mm -hmm. say you've got a fabulous new, I know the house, the keys is extraordinary. So mm -hmm. that, that's extraordinary luxury. So let's just step it down a little bit and go back to a typical yeah. listing. And gave well, everyone, state. every one of those is different too, Beth. You, you know, we do, I, I would say it's best to think about it in terms of categories because you do different things for different listings. You cannot afford 
to spend the money that you're going to have to spend on a $20 million listing. You can't afford to do that for every single million dollar listing that you get because you wouldn't be in business very long if you did. It's just a business decision, actually. But you have a launch phase, a promotion phase, and you have the closing phase. So I think that one of the things we try to do for all of our listings, regardless, is you try to go and familiarize yourself with the property and then pitch the listing. In other words, it's a two-step process. It's very, very, um, I know many people do just get a call and go out and pitch a listing and and get it, and that's fine. But I think you need to be thoroughly familiar with what you're facing and what you're getting ready to list, unless you know it like the back of your hand almost. So it it is just, uh, it's hard to walk you through a typical one because there are very few typical listings anymore. Everyone is so different. It's almost, um, you know, and and you may even get to the point where you might learn enough about it to say, you know what, this probably is not for me by myself. And you might want to bring somebody else into the picture. So, you know, it's uh, to join with you to be a co-listing person. But it is, it is, if I could give you one piece of advice, I guess I would say become familiar with the property and then pitch the listing. Whether you visit it individually and look around and then come back the next day and bring all of your materials with you, but you should do everything you can to become familiar with it in, in advance and the seller. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to add just a couple of observations that I see and some consistencies in, in, in what I how I see that you've always marketed these listings in luxury space. Number one, you really start with exceptional photography, which oh, I yeah. think is is amazing, right? Beautiful photography. I think that the, you orchestrate and curate that luxury experience in every single piece of marketing that comes through with the property, right? Mm-hmm. So it's That's a beautiful so photography. Important. It wasn't More like than I remember any. in the back no. of the of the brochures. You never did just a one yeah. page brochure. You did four page brochures. You did yeah. eight page brochures. You did brochure books. So mm-hmm. just that elevation of mm-hmm. what an a, a, an agent would normally do, but everything is at this luxury level and mm-hmm. you do spend a lot of money. And I think that that's yeah. I'm not gonna put you on the spot to say, but I've seen your ad bill. So I know <laughs> I know how I know how much you spend. So I've never been bashful, I, right? <laughs> well, but I but I think that's important, right? You yeah. can't you can't approach just going back to what you said before, breaking into the luxury market. You can't approach a ten million dollar listing without also having the commitment to spend the money that's to market right. it. That's right. And it's not just it's not just putting it in the MLS and hoping that it sells. No. There is money no. that has to go in events. You do beautiful events. You do beautiful mm-hmm. open houses. I'm sure this virtual open house is going to be extraordinary. I can't wait to yep. see it. But 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 it's <clears throat> that elevation and the other thing I think that I've heard from you that I think is worth sharing is you also consider who the buyer is. That's true. So very true. You do you do still do a considerable amount of print advertising. Um, in do. this day and time where a lot of people have dis- dispensed with it because your market still reads the paper. Your market still mm-hmm, looks mm-hmm. at magazines. And I think that's important, right? It's kind of getting beyond that is yourself. very important, yes. And it's important to, in that regard, just as a tag on to what you're saying, it's important to pick the right vehicle. Most of the readers for the luxury space that I've observed, they all read the Wall Street Journal. 
and whether whether it's in New York or Miami or the journal version in Europe, wherever they read the journal. And the other the other paper that al- almost every single person in the real luxury space reads is the Financial Times. They all read the Times, and that if you you know I've I probably I once listed a a castle in Scotland. And um, I pitched it in the Financial Times, and I think I got more play off of that ad than I did any ad I've ever run in my entire life in real estate. It was extraordinary, really unbelievable. And ironically, it also taught me a good lesson. You know, it might be better to list close to home and so you can visit all the time and show it yourself. Because shortly into that listing, after we got this huge amount of response, the owner called and wanted to cancel the listing. He had changed his mind. And, of course, I kind of had figured out what was going on. But I said, of course, you know, it is what it is. There's no point in making an enemy. And shortly after that, I learned that he had sold the castle. So I could put two and two together. That enormous big ad that I read <laughs> paid off for him, <laughs> for my seller. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's okay. You know, I've, I've learned a, a greater lesson in life. It, what goes around comes around. And if you treat yeah. everybody well and generously and fairly and honestly, you, you'll reap it back in other different ways. And so you lose some sometimes, but you win many others and I think it all it all ends up in a very positive side of the ledger. But I um, I do believe you need to pick where you put your print. Uh, that's very important. Well, I think that's great advice. So just to change gears just a little bit, how has COVID-19 impacted your markets and your business? Oh, it has impacted enormously our business because, um, and, you know, there are there are literally beautiful luxury homes. The owners do not want us inside the home. They The help has been let go or put on furlough. They're, I'm sure, being paid by the, by the owners. But they, nobody is inside the home. You know, there are people that are over 60 that own the home, and they, they're being very, very cautious and very careful. And um, so, you know, the, the top-tier homes are still some that are empty or lots, empty luxury lots are selling for sure. And of course, we've had two enormous sales in Gables Estates during this COVID period, but they, one was already in the uh, perking along, you know, and the other one was just a neighbor selling to a neighbor um, and that they knew each other. And, but I'm just saying in general, the pandemic is really, it's, it has really impacted, in my personal opinion, the luxury market because this would be our prime selling season normally, um, and we make a few sales, but not like we normally normally would be doing. Um, I do think that we will be seeing a huge influx of people from New York when it opens up a little more, because we're getting enormous inquiries from my website from New York, and that that's. That could be good. Your outlook for the rest of 2020? Unless we get a reoccurrence of this of this terrible virus in the fall, which some doctors are saying is entirely possible. And with people becoming more lax about their, you know, conduct when they're out in public now. And that concerns me greatly when you see people crowding onto beaches or 
uh, disregarding, you know, keeping their distance or wearing the mask. I, I think all of those things are helpful. And we need, we do need a vaccine so badly, but it's very, um, it has impacted us, but we've learned some new skills on the positive side of the ledger. We've learned to work from home. We've learned, you know, to be more of a virtual, of a virtual office. Um, so it's, it's, and we've, we've had some time to clean up our, our database. <laughs> so, <laughs> and to, and in our case, to spend on Compass Academy, which is fabulous. But, um, you know, there's been some good things and some bad things for sure. For me, I see improvement in the numbers overall, especially mm-hmm. in Miami-Dade County, like the pendings are up yep. I and mean, we're still down yep. from yep. this time last year, but we are, it, May looks better so far than April, mm-hmm. which is which is a good yep. sign, but but there's still so many variables out there. So I think we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Yes, um, that's exactly my thinking. So just to kind of wrap up the last phase of our talk here today, this is from the Ground Up podcast. So let's close with a lightning round of quick <laughs> questions about you and how you grew from the ground up. Oh, Lord where of mercy. You, where, oh. Where, where were you born? Very ordinarily. <laughs> South Carolina, lovely, lovely place. Um, I, I came to, I was, I was, had one uh, older brother. He is now deceased. Um, I went to um, University of South Carolina, um, majored in English and microbiology, um, landed by way of a, a new marriage, met a man at a dinner party in Charleston, got married, ended up in Miami living because he wanted to work here as an engineer. And I went to work for Howard Hughes. Now, nobody probably even knows who Howard Hughes is, but I don't know if you even know that. <laughs> of, co- of course I do. But I went to, work for, <laughs> went to work for Howard Hughes here in Miami in the laboratories of microbiology. Um, and um, quickly discerned that I wouldn't, I did not want to a glamour job, which is what that was really. Um, I wanted to have a family, so I needed to get into the educational system, and I went back to school. My my English background, nor my microbiology background, prepared me to teach. And I'm thinking a good teacher can teach nine months of the year, have be off in the summer with the children. So I needed to be a teacher. So I go back to school at uh, Florida Atlantic University and get a master's degree because I wanted to teach ultimately at the University of Miami and they don't hire uh, teachers who are they didn't then who had all of their graduate work at UM in other words they thought that was just too um, incestuous of a philosophical background so I went up to drove every day to Florida Atlantic got a master's degree there in education and came on back down to the University of Miami and got my doctorate I um, went to work as a professor at the University of Miami, and um, along the way was working for the school, volunteer, uh, school system and started the Dade County School Volunteer Program and um, had some success there. I became the president of the National School Volunteer Program, had an office in Washington, and lobbied Congress a while for education. I'm recapping and capsuling all of this, and then... Um, I had, in the along the way, gotten divorced, and I had a child, um, lived with my daughter over here in Coral Gables on Granada, and um, then met 
uh, one day on a fateful bike ride I took through Gables Estates on a date, I met my late husband. <laughs> and so, and the rest is history. We were married 38 years and he passed away in 2015. You are actually PhD, so you are Dr. Yeah. Audrey Ross. Yeah. And so, and so, Dr. Ross, who was your best mentor? Ah, you know, I hadn't thought much about that until um, lately. But I it was my. Well, I've had two amazing mentors, really. Um, my uncle, when I he gave me my first job when I was twelve, reading law for him in his law office during the day and babysitting in the evening. My aunt and uncle lived in Augusta, Georgia, so I spent my summers there because it was a, quote, summer job for young Audrey at 12. And, and so I would read law to him because he was blind. He had been blind from the age of seven. And um, one of the, he is one of the most extraordinary men I ever knew. He went on to become an, a circuit court judge in Augusta, Georgia. He, went, he was in the state legislature and a, a giant in that area. He had participated in helping start back or develop, I should say, already started the Masters in, in Augusta, Georgia. Um, but he was, he taught me ham radio at the age of four, 12, 13. I don't remember, 13, 14. So I got a ham radio license and he taught me that you can do anything you want to do, no matter what it is. If you want to do it, Audrey, you can do it. And, um, so that was made a huge impression on me. And I guess my second mentor would be my late husband. He had, um, he was also brilliant. He had graduated uh, Georgia Tech at the age of, I think, 16 or 17 and went on to MIT. He developed a big engineering business here, H.J. Ross Associates, and he changed basically, the. he was a participant in changing the face of Miami after the war. He came back here and opened an engineering company and did all a lot of projects like the Doral, the Eden Rock, the Fontainebleau, the Palmetto Expressway, the Bal Harbor shops, on and on and on. But his, he told me his most interesting project was he designed the test facility for the Apollo spacecraft. And so he was quite uh, an amazing man. He had sold his company when I met him here on this big bike ride that afternoon and had not much to do except to help me become a realtor. <laughs> it turned out that he liked real estate really a lot and among other things, but um, he really uh, taught me the, the business side of owning a real estate company, just owning a business really in general, and um, gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do, you know. He thought it would be a great idea, and he seemed to know how to make it happen. So I've had two great mentors, amazing, and now um, I must say um, very recently, um, this in December, I married a man who has had a storied career of his own, Dr. William Culbertson, and um, he is um, one of the legends of Bascom Palmer Eye Institute and a professor at University of Miami, of course. Um, so I'm I'm yet entering a third phase of my storied men in my life. <laughs> so we'll see. That's where we are. And and that's wonderful. And you, everyone knows you live at Gables Estates. Tell I us do. what you like best. What do you like best about your home? Ah, uh, it's a wonderful small little ranch house on a great lot. 
I like it because it's one story. You can see the water from every room. Every room has a great water view. And it's big enough to spread out a little bit and feel like you've not cramped space, but very small enough for one person to keep relatively clean during a pandemic. <laughs> you follow my drift on that. <laughs> I do. I do. Oh. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Um, what's your favorite vacation spot? Oh, hands down, Seal Harbor, Maine. I've gone there for many years, many, many years, and I just introduced my new husband, Bud, to Seal Harbor um, about three years ago when we, when we got together, and he loves it too. He's quite a sailor, so he has found Mecca in sailing around Seal, Seal, Seal Harbor. That's amazing. Talk us through your morning routine. Oh, my goodness. It's early. I have a little, um, and I encourage all of my team to do this. We have pretty much the same routine, the team now, I think. We have a little time. You get up in the morning. You have a little meditation. Then you work out for an hour, maybe 45 minutes an hour. And then you organize your day if you haven't done it the night before, and you start your day. I get up early. I, I'm I'm always been an early bird. Um, and then I, I used to go to the office, of course. But lately, I get up and try to. Now, I have my housewife duties because, you know, we're still a bit cloistered here. So I get up and get going. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I hear you've recently mastered the art of cooking bacon. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time in 40 years, yeah. But at least I have, and I have, so, so we have many blessings in this whole pandemic situation because uh, my husband um, has a 20-year-old son who goes to college in Massachusetts to uh, Merrimack. And of course, Merrimack is on vacation, so to speak. They're not really. They were they were attending class from um, virtually. But um, Will lives with us, the Bud's son. And so I've, got, I've gotten a gift in this whole thing. I've gotten a son. And now Will, of course, he can't go very far because both his dad and I are over the age of 60, shall we say. So we yes, can't we're, really we're elderly, go anywhere. Yeah, we, I don't want to say that word. But he is a bit restricted in where he can go. And happily for him, he has a wonderful friend, Charlie. And so I have managed to hire both of them as interns for the summer. Charlie goes to Georgetown. They're the same age, relatively speaking. And Charlie's grandmother has to be protected. So he can't go very many places either. So I'm the happy recipient, not only of a, a new, relatively new son, living with me, which is terrific. I've never experienced this since my daughter went away to boarding school. And Charlie coming along. So I have two handsome young men down here helping me as interns and also keeping me company during the day and helping me get my, and they are far better technologically speaking than I. So my skills are somewhat improving in that regard. But, uh, and guess what? They both tell me they might would like to get a real estate license. So I'm pretty excited about the whole thing. <laughs> I see two new team members. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be so lucky. I should be so lucky. Well, okay. So to close, Audrey, I thank you for your time. And oh, would just ask you, wh where can people connect with you? Email, social media handles. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Oh, it's easy. Uh, 
aross at miamirealestate.com would be the easiest way. And I also give out my telephone number, 305-206-4003. We're happy to help and talk to anybody. Thank you so much for your gracious time. Just to... Just to encapsulate, I love that you are the work your neighborhood, live where you work, and be generous are the are the big takeaways of what I've got. But thank you for oh. sharing your view at luxury real estate. It's quite a view, and we appreciate your being here. It's my pleasure, Beth. Thank you for inviting me. Have a nice day. This episode of From the Ground Up was sponsored by Feather the Nest the crowdfunding source for all of your real estate needs. Why register for silverware when you can start your way to owning or renting your own home? Please sign up for your nest at www.featherthenest.com. A special thanks to my extraordinary producer, Sohail Fazluddin, who has made this podcast possible.